Rural SLP Summit. We are joined today by Lisa Young. She earned her MA in Speech Language Pathology from the University of Maryland, College Park, and her MA in Linguistics from the University of California, San Diego. She participated in research studies in the National Institute of Deafness and Other Communication Disorders and the University of Maryland in the areas of aphasia, Parkinson's disease, epilepsy, and fluency disorders. Lisa has more than 13 years experience as a medical speech language pathologist. She has a strong passion for evidence-based assessment and therapy, including having earned four ASHA awards for professional participation in continuing education. She launched eatspeakthink.com in June of 2018 to help other clinicians be more successful working in home health, as well as provide strategies and resources to people living with problems eating, speaking, or thinking. Welcome, Lisa. Oh, thank you so much, Jocelyn. Thank you very much for the invitation to be here and to talk with you today. Uh, I have been following your um, blog for a while, um, by the way. <laughs> and so, oh, thank you. Yes, um, I, I worked uh, primarily in SNF settings, so definitely still a lot of it's applicable there. Um, oh, so um, I don't know much about home health. What would you say a generalist would need to know about home health if they were considering switching into that setting? Okay, that's a that's a great question. I personally love home health. Um, there are definitely some very strong benefits to working in home health, as well as some things to consider um, about working in that setting. So for instance, um, my, my number one favorite thing about working in home health is that I'm working with patients in their own environment. So I have access to their calendar, to their medications, to, you know, everything that's, uh, that surrounds their life, um, so that I find for me, that therapy can be can be very meaningful and helpful, which I which I love. Um, I also love home health because there's a lot of flexibility in your um, work hours and your days. So basically, as long as you meet productivity, um, it's fine to you know stop at the post office or the grocery store in the middle of the day. Not a big deal. Um, one surprising thing I found when I moved from working in a facility to working in home health is that the range of patients is is much, much greater. So, um, so I see a much wider range of diagnoses and the patients run from run the spectrum from stable and chronic to frequent changes in status on a day-by-day -day basis. So in other words, you'll never be bored <laughs> working in home health. Things always change. Mm -hmm. um, so there are some drawbacks or some things to consider if it would be a good fit for you if you wanted to go into home health. Um, the documentation is much more thorough than in any other setting that I've worked in. Um, team communication is critical, but it's also challenging because you're rarely in the same place at the same time, especially with COVID. Um, the travel time can be uh, pretty lengthy between patients. Um, and you're not, you can't just wear your speech therapy hat when you walk into the house. You are the eyes and ears of your company and it's your job to help keep the patient safely at home. So you're assessing the whole patient and the whole environment, which is can be very helpful and very rewarding. Um, but at the same point, you, you, you're a little bit uh, fragmented. You can't just focus on speech therapy. So that can be challenging. Mm -hmm. Another potential drawback is you are alone in the patient's home. Um, so sometimes there could be some complex situations. I've had to call 911 before for, you know, some serious uh, health uh, crises. Um, 
but generally, um, you know, I've been doing home health for eight years and I've maybe run into three situations where I felt a little bit unsure about potential safety. Um, so it's, it's really, really a, you know, a safe environment um, to work in the companies. It's in their interest, of course, to make, make sure that everybody's safe. And then the last potential drawback, which can be huge, is that you don't generally interact with other speech pathologists. Um, so as you know, in a facility, I don't know if in the SNF, do you work with other speech pathologists where you can bounce ideas off of? Uh, that is actually one of the reasons I started the whole rural SLP stuff was because I've been in rural buildings where I'm the only one the only among one, yeah. three buildings. <laughs> so yes. even more isolated, so similar, but different than right, right. health. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Um, yeah. I've, I've heard of other therapists who've had the experience of working with other speech therapists and I'm like, I haven't seen another oh. speech therapist face to face in so long. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, one of one of my positions, I worked with th um, two other speech pathologists, um, and we shared an office. And so we got to talk about, you know, situations that came up and it was it was wonderful. So yeah. I do I do miss that. Yeah, having that ability to bounce ideas off of, off of others is just I miss that. I, I, I changed positions last year and I took advantage of that experience to really think about the interview process and like things that clinicians should ask or consider before moving into home health. So one of the posts on my blog is 50 questions to ask in an interview. Now, of course, you won't ask all 50 questions, but it gives you, you know, an idea of what you're walking into. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then I also wrote another post about, um, like my best tips for starting a new job, like just how to stay organized. And because it's a lot, it's a it lot. To, yes. Yeah. Yes. I I've, I've worked at, I think, 50 facilities at this point. So I, oh. I've experienced that. Yeah. <laughs> Worked yeah. as a traveling therapist for a while. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Oh. I, I, yeah. And, uh, I, so it's interesting what you said about, um, you need to be a general generalist to be working in home health. Um, yes. yeah. So, um, I'm going to kind of go off tangent a little bit. Um, so oh. what do you have to say about, um, when you are working in a with a, with a patient and you're like, I have not seen this kind of a case in years. What do you do? <laughs> Cause it's going to happen. <laughs> it does happen. Yes. Yes. Or things that I've never seen before. Like I have to look up. I don't even know what that thing is, that right, condition. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so that's, that's where I start. I look up, you know, to find out what information I can find. Um, the ASHA evidence maps can be very helpful. Um, so I'll look there. Um, I belong to a couple of private um, Facebook groups, um, so that might be a place to ask to get some direction. Um, you know, there's a subscription membership site for speech pathologists that have, you know, professors that can uh, answer questions, so that's, um, that's a resource I use sometimes. But basically, um, well, you know, as you know, Jocelyn, there's, um, there's no way to keep up with everything. So it's more, I think it's more just like knowing how to find information on how to treat something um, and then taking a continuing ed course. So I've done this, especially my first two years in home health, I probably spent, that's how I ended up with four ACE awards because I did continuing education constantly because it seemed like every third patient was something new to me and I wanted to be able to do my best for them. And so I'd find some course that was relevant and I would listen to it as I drove house to house and just pick up, you know, something that's helpful. So that's, that's what yeah. I would do. 
Uh, yeah, I, I, that's something I really started doing a lot too, is using that time in the car to better myself. And it, it wasn't always speech therapy stuff, <laughs> but yes. yeah, but, um, but it certainly was a lot. I did a lot of CEUs in the car. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so what are, you mentioned the ACE award. What do you see? Um, I've heard some conflicting opinions on this. What do you see yeah. the benefit of getting the ACE award? Well, you know, to be honest, I have it on my resume, but I don't know if that was a factor in, you know, my being offered the position because I don't even know if my supervisor knows what that is, but, but it, it reflects, you know, it's just a reflection of all that time that I put into doing the continuing education. And that's, that's where I think the, um, the important part lies is I think, um, I think continuing ed courses are an excellent investment of time and money. Because if you think about it, that presenter has spent hours and hours reading and synthesizing the information and putting it into an easily digestible form. So it saves me tons of work. So I, that's why I love continuing ed courses. Yes, yes, I, I agree with that. Um, I'm, I've thought about providing CEUs and I'm like, there, how do you get the information down to <laughs> this one hour presentation or whatever it is? Um, yes, absolutely. It's yes. tough. Yes. It's very, it's very intimidating to me. <laughs> uh, so tell me a little bit about your research experience, because that's, that's a different side of things. <laughs> yeah, the research. Well, that was, that was a long time ago. Um, so like 14 plus, you know, years, but, um, but yeah, I worked at the, um, the NIH um, in one of the labs there. And basically I, you know, I was a grad student at the time. So I was, I was analyzing dysarthria samples. So I heard lots of the grandfather passage, you know, encoding that <laughs> yep. and you know, learning MRI. Um, and at the University of Maryland College Park, I did, um, you know, research on uh, epilepsy. Um, oh boy, I don't even remember. There was, I think there was another, there was another project that I worked on. Yeah. And then when I was at um, UC San Diego, I was doing psycholinguistic um, experiments, which are kind of related to speech pathology, but they're different enough that I probably shouldn't go into them, but it was, you know, it was fascinating. You know, it's yeah. all, all yeah. very interesting. Yeah. And research is another area that kind of intimidates me. I mean, you know, and then I was on a different call and we were talking about the gap between research and practice. And yeah. so I'm always looking for ways of <laughs> getting that gap smaller. <laughs> Yes, yes. Are you, um, I'm guessing you, do you probably listen to like Teresa Richards podcast? Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. Teresa Richards, uh, the informed SLP is another one that yes. uh, is really uh, in my wheelhouse. Um, yeah. So, and I, I, yeah, I, the informed SLP, um, I, it was on my radar a while ago and then she had, didn't have adult stuff on there yet. And then, right math she does so I was very excited to hear that <laughs> like, yes me too yeah I love her I love her resources they're fantastic yes. yeah very good because yeah, it's crazy because otherwise it's 17 years be between research and getting into clinical practice 17 years that's uh that's too long that's longer than I've been practicing <laughs> yes me too yeah I'm just coming up on 15 years it's a long time yeah. um yeah that's 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 almost an embarrassment I mean I think to our field <laughs> really 
Yeah, I can understand like in the old days when it's, you know, paper, <laughs> but right, now with electronic right. resources, it should spread faster, it you know. Be, yeah, it should be. And, and maybe that's partly because our field is so broad. And I, I wonder if that's a factor, um, you know, especially for those of us who are generalists, we have to be jack of all trades, uh, you know, and so it, it is hard to know what to go and read you know, what research do I need to go look at? Absolutely. <laughs> hard, yeah. Hard to decide. Yeah. Um, so you've also, um, you, you have a resource that talks about this a lot. So, uh, thank you for sharing that with us, um, yeah. about some of the, what are the things that generalists need to know for cognition and speech and language, uh, for the adult? Yeah. Oh, sure. Um, yes. Okay. So cognition, um, yeah, I, I want to say like maybe half of my caseload um, touches on cognitive communication and it's really challenging because many times the patient doesn't have great insight into their changes and the deficits and the family like this is kind of new to them and they may be overwhelmed with other things so mm -hmm. in the you know in the ideal situation, you'd walk in, you know, you do your chart review, you do your interview, and you'd be able to identify very specific goals to work on. Um, but that often doesn't happen. So I've learned, you know, I've been learning over the past eight years to try to do some more like motivational interviewing and just mm -hmm. assessing patients for readiness to change. Because if they're in that pre-contemplation state where they're not even ready to consider therapy, I would just be wasting my time by trying to coax them into. They might politely say, yes, they'll, they'll do it, but then they don't do the homework. And then I wonder why. Right. So, um, so in those situations, I may try to kind of get at the heart of why they're hesitant or work directly with the family to offer strategies to just try to make the situation better. Mm. I like that using the, um, my husband's in his master's for psychology, so uh, and counseling. So I just recently heard about this motivational interviewing. I'm like, that makes so much sense, though, <laughs> to add that in. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, where can we find you? <laughs> yes. Okay. So, um, so my blog, Eat, Speak, and Think, is at eatspeakthink.com. I have a newsletter that comes out every other Monday, and I try to have a new post to include with that and a new free handout. Um, but every newsletter includes um, um, some, you know, interesting and what I think is interesting uh, or helpful information for a speech pathologist working with this population or just people who have a general interest in it. Um, there's, if you subscribe to the newsletter, um, I give you the password to my free library where all the materials are listed on one page, which I think is hopefully pretty handy um try to organize it to make it a little bit easier to find things um and yes you can find me on twitter and facebook and instagram um, but facebook is where i'm the most active excellent and you have a free resource you want to talk about a little bit about what yeah. that is for yeah absolutely yeah sure yep so <laughs> Um, so I, I like to try to make everything as you know practical and useful as possible. So um, I was thrilled to have this opportunity to be part of your summit. And so I wanted to have something to give to anybody um, who's you know interested. So I put together like a three page resource with links to um, uh, very specific um, blog posts and other resources, other websites 
um, that touch on work-life balance, working as a home health SLP, and then just being a generalist, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Great, great stuff. Yeah. And that's who we are. We were in our car a lot and we're generalists. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I definitely feel like home health, even though I have not, I have very little experience in that. I do feel like home health practitioners are definitely a part of our community. (laughs) So (laughs) well, thank you, Lisa, for doing this with us. Uh, This has been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Jocelyn. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed the conversation.